Welcome to episode 24 of the Pogma Gold podcast. My name is James Carew, co-editor of Pogma Goal, and you're listening to the 24th installment of the podcast partner to Ireland's only football magazine. Each episode looks at football culture from around the world, just like the brand new issue 8 of the magazine, which you can find in Easton's and Tuttle's outlets around Ireland, or order online for shipping at pogmagoal.com. It's got over 70 pages of quality feature writing, artwork, photography and illustration from established and up-and-coming contributors from across the globe. And if you have picked up your copy, please get in touch to let us know your thoughts. On today's episode, I'm joined by Joe McCarthy of the Irish Abroad Platform, which tracks live updates on Irish players around the world. And Joe's regular podcast guest, Philip Flanagan, of the bottomless pit of football, was also a keen football shirt collector. Welcome to the Pope Gold podcast, Joe and Phil. James, good to talk to you again. Hi James, how are things? Hi lads. Gentlemen, to start, as we are recording, the Women's Euros is drawing to a close and we will know the winner by the time this is released. I think it's been a great tournament and potential turning point for the women's game in these islands. With England in the final and me being based in London, it has been somewhat of a slow burner but feels like the country's well and truly on the bandwagon now. My question to you is, with Ireland absent but a game with Finland to come that could seal a World Cup playoff, do you agree that we as a footballing country are primed to embrace the women's team further should they make the breakthrough? I'll go to you first, Joe. Yeah, uh, I'd have to say we definitely are. You know, we've seen over the course of the last two qualifying campaigns for the women's team that there's been a steady increase in uh, not just attendance in the home games at Tallis Stadium, but in in terms of the numbers that we're seeing of viewers on on RTE and also on the on the RTE player. Um, you know, you think that players like Kayla McCabe, uh, Louise Quinn, Chloe Mustaki, you know, these are becoming household names and I think for uh for a generation or for maybe for you know a generation of fans you know they're becoming kind of the same kind of names that we had from Euro 88 and Italian 90 um they're playing they're playing a very good brand of football I think you know Katie McCabe is a a generational talent um she's absolutely what she can do with a football is absolutely sublime um and you know what we saw from those names in Italian ninety and, and in Germany in eighty eight was they inspired the next generation of footballers. You know, Damien Duff and Robbie Keane were ten years old watching Italian ninety. Ten years later, they're leading their country out in the World Cup in two thousand and two in Japan and South Korea. I have to imagine that you know there's a ten year old, twelve year old girls watching these players. You know, representing their country with pride. Um, 
and going going out and you know getting their name on the back of the jersey, kicking a football around, and in, in ten years' time, they'll be leading the country out. Um, it's a uh, you know women's football has been a, a growth, uh, has been on a, a massive upward curve, uh, in as you say in these islands over the last few years. Um, I don't know how much you know about the the women's league of Ireland here, but I do think that the increased coverage, um, on on not just on RTE but on BBC of the Women's Super League uh, has has helped that and you know there's a, a comparison to be made between you know the 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 top players in the the Women's League of Ireland going over and playing in the Women's Super League and and not just there but you know we've seen players go to to Germany and to Denmark and to the United States um and you know perform right at the top level you know, and also in in European competition, just coincidentally, the tickets for the final home qualifier against Finland went on sale today. Um, there was talk for a while that the game should be moved to Aviva Stadium. Uh, personally, I didn't think that was a good idea, but I think you know they've got that home crowd. They've got that hardcore audience now at Tala Stadium. Uh, there's a, you know, I see it at the end. I, I try to get to as many games as I can, and I see it at the end of every game. You know, the players going over to to the fans, taking photos, signing jerseys, signing autographs. Um, there's a great rapport between the fans and the players. And um, there's might you might lose a little bit of that in Aviva Stadium, and I think to 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 move now you you would lose some of that. But you know, qualification is still very much in their hands. That final qualifier against Finland uh, should guarantee a second spot um, and a playoff. The the play I don't know if you've looked into the the playoffs. They're um, convoluted, uh, to say the least. It's not as straightforward as some of the the playoff configurations that we'd be used to from the the men's game. Even winning your playoff uh, can still see you going to Australia next year to play again another playoff against the the Oceania team. Which is a, a very long way of agreeing with you that yes, the women's game is primed to explode in Ireland. Um uh, you know, there's been great strides made since that famous press conference uh in, in Dublin a few years ago with the senior players standing up for to to get the proper treatment that they felt they deserved and of course they did deserve it. Yeah, we spoke about that on a previous podcast. Phil, have you been watching the tournament? It does kind of feel like us not being there, we're missing out, and that is a where the greatest event junkies going. So you feel like, as I said, if Ireland can make the breakthrough, the footballing community and the sporting public is ready to embrace that? Absolutely. Um, I haven't been watching as much as I probably should have, but I, I've seen some highlight programmes. I watched the last two England games. I find that at the end of at the end of a normal season or at the end of a national win, an international window, I'm nearly football fatigued. Yeah. And I've been making a conscious effort to go to a lot of Sligo and Galway games this year. So they've been kind of taking me over. But it's about to explode, I think, women's football. I think it has in England. But I think over here, like Joe's mentioned, that the Finland game is sold out. I think in the next two to three years, it's going to really come on. Like the biggest thing with the women's Irish soccer team that I've noticed is it's so well marketed. They really know what they're doing to push the product. And the product is good. Like, we, they have a good team. Like, they have a lot of skillful players, but they've got a good sponsor. It's, it's all over the radio. They've got, like, influencers like Dave Moore from Today FM. He's ran events. He's gone to games. He's pushing it on Instagram. Like, all these things, they're, like, no-brainers for people who are in marketing these days. But I, 
I do look at the League of Ireland and wonder could they could they take a leaf out of the book of the whoever's pushing the women's soccer team because it's great and like when I think about how I got into football I got into football because I saw footballers on TV when I was young and I wanted to be one and now and in the next few years you're going to have girls 7, 8, 9, 10 watching women on football going I want to be a footballer whereas like even up to five years ago they wouldn't have really seen them so I think it's going to it's going to explode for a whole new generation yeah it's a perfect segue into my next question which is as we do with all our guests is ask how you did get into football I'll go to you again Joe well it's it's quite simple really it was uh, like I said it was Italian 90 um, uh, I I didn't really have a big interest in sport um, until I was about nine or ten years old, I'd say. Um, and probably my first uh, really clear memory of watching football is the final qualifier against Malta, when I, I think we needed, I think we needed to not lose uh, to qualify, but we we went in one anyway um, to qualify for Italian ninety, and it just there was just this just amazing feeling that uh, of watching a, an Irish team. That would go on to represent the country at the inter- on the international stage, which was something that mm-hmm. didn't really happen in to other Irish teams. I mean, I know we had you know we had the Five Nations as it was at the time for the rugby team, but in terms of other sports, you know, it just didn't really seem to happen. There was all, we had odd influence or odd instances of say Stephen Roach winning the the Tour de France or uh, Barry McGuigan winning the the World Championship. But um, in terms of team sports, you know, we we didn't have that representation representation on the international stage, and suddenly, um, this was the Irish team going to the, the biggest sporting occasion in the world. I'm not going to have that argument about whether or not the Olympics is bigger, the biggest single sport, um, maybe occasion in the world, um, and uh, yeah, it was just from then on, I I was hooked. Um, uh, I think I watched pretty much every game in Italian 90. Um, uh, I do remember that we had a school tour for the f- opening game when uh, Cameroon beat Argentina. And uh, uh, I missed, I think I only saw the very end of it, but I, I watched nearly every other game that I could. And uh, there was, I think Eurosport would show repeats of games and I'm pretty sure I watched the Ireland games three or four times. Um, and I think, that, like for a lot of people from, from my generation, you know, there's. I know there's the 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 cliche of you know the Walkinstown roundabout, but it didn't just happen on Walkinstown roundabout. It happened on O'Connell Street. It happened in Cork. It had like I'm from Limerick, and you know it happened on the green, you know, next to where I grew up, and that was it. And I was and I was I was a football. F- I've been a football fan ever since. Yeah, and yourself, Phil? Yeah, pretty similar, but it was a bit later. It was probably the summer of um of '94. Um. The Italy game, obviously, was... The Italy game is probably the first game I can really remember watching a full game and thinking, oh, my God, this is amazing. But I have a brother who's four years older, and our neighbours at the time um, were from Glasgow, and there was another uh, fella beside us, and he, he was a massive Celtic fan. But basically, he had the biggest garden in the neighbourhood. Like, I'm talking, it was probably... It was nearly two times, two times the size of a football pitch. So, literally, they would be out day and night from once the, the night started getting long. So, like, we just grew up playing football, really. I played football, like, every evening before I even started watching football. So, it was really, 94 was really the first time I actually started watching football. It was only 
I was only eight at the time, so. But that was it. We just played. We just used to play all the time. That's all we used to do was play football after school, before school, Saturday, Sundays, big games. Everyone would come around from the neighbourhood. That was it. It's kind of the same for all my generation, really. That's all we did was play football. Like, I didn't get my hands on a PlayStation until I was 12. <laughs> and Phil, you're from Mayo? Yeah, I'm from the desolate soccer heartland of Mayo. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the point that... I mean, would football have reached those parts of Mayo previously or without the Irish team of the 90s? I don't know. I suppose I was lucky because the the lads living next door to me were actually, they moved, moved over from Glasgow. My father worked in Liverpool. He used to work in London as well. He used to go to Millwall a lot. He used to go to Liverpool games. So I suppose there was an influence. But like mm. by the time I was going to in fifth or sixth class, like nearly everybody was wearing a United or a Liverpool jersey because nearly everybody's dad had gone to London or had gone to England at some stage. It was just mm. the way it was. So like I can never remember a time where nobody, anybody didn't support a big English team. You know, and mm. that's that's where that's where the influence came from. It wasn't like I always wonder what it was to be like from say in Shakur from Cork and be like, oh, Roy Keane's one of our own. Or, you know, Paul McGrath's one of our own and he's the reason I got into it because I know him and he played for a club. There was none of that, really. It was just that, you know, we had nothing like that to latch on to. So I suppose that's why maybe... Every, that's kind of why half the country latched on to English teams in the first place, I'd say. Yeah, and we've discussed that many times on, on the podcast. All about the points. The stats are scary, really, for Ireland. But it's actually his teammate that had the most shots on target. Lack of goals, lack of goal scores. Seamus Coleman, Everton. I analyse all the Irish players nearly every weekend. Nathan Collins, Burnley. There's been a, a dearth of talent coming through for the teams. Shane Duffy, Brighton and Hove Albion. He did score 11 goals in his last 19 games. It's over the line. Goal for 3-4-3 or 3 5-2, it was 5-3-2. So he's coming in and form with belief and confidence. You know, we need to start seeing progress moving forward. We're struggling to score goals, we're struggling to score goals. Troy Paris 20, Obafemi's 21. Obafemi shoots! Oh, what a goal! What a cracking goal! These two guys could be the future, could be the next 10 years. And he's backed up the height. He's had a great season with Swansea. Lads, I've wanted to host a show like this for a while and what prompted me was an article from issue 8 of the magazine by our friend Ryan Kilban, The Cult Hero Paradox about the little-known Argentine Thomas El Trinch Karlovich who Maradona once claimed was even better than he was. So I want to read Ryan's opening paragraph because I think it's the ideal intro to our discussion. And he wrote... Similar to how Googling has made the pub debate extinct, the internet has completely changed how we view football. The accessibility of stats, clips on social media and ability to stream live matches from anywhere in the world means we can watch almost any player on the planet. At the click of a button, new signings are instantly deemed frauds or saviours, often based on a two-minute YouTube video set to questionable EDM music. It seems tweed to say, but not long ago, if you wanted to see a match, you actually had to be there. But the fact is, social media in particular means we can follow the fortunes of players and teams from afar, which is exactly what your platform does. 
Joe. So tell us more about that. Yeah, and uh, it was it was an interesting article, and I, uh, you know, I I see a lot of it on I see a lot of what he's talking about there on on Twitter and and on Instagram as well that. You know, it, and it doesn't even, it's not even new signings, you know, people argue about whether or not Messi or Ronaldo is better and they start pulling out stats, oh, but Messi has more assists, oh, but Ronaldo scores more goals, oh, but Messi scores more goals from open play, oh, but Ronaldo's, you know, he scored more goals in, in more leagues. And it, it, okay, Messi and Ronaldo are the two greatest players of the current generation and um, that's why the people have those arguments about them. But you can see how those kind of arguments are, are influ- influence arguments about other players. Um, and I was only thinking about this earlier today that, you know, if you, even 20 years ago, the most important stat in a game was the result. Then it became who, like, what player scored the most goals. Then, or then, then things like possession stats started to come into it. And, you know, now we've got, you know, then assists. I saw it. I was at a talk a few years ago with Michael Cox from Zonal Markin, and he said that fantasy football was what brought, was helped bring in the kind of stats, our, our respect for stats among football fans. You know, previous to that, it had very much been an American sport thing. You know, it's big in baseball. It's big in uh, American football and basketball, but it hadn't really come into football here yet. But when players start to earn points for assists on fantasy football. You know, they kind of drove that conversation. And, you know, now we've got things like, you know, touches in a game. You can see, like, literally, you know, with, like, GPS clarity, where every point on the pitch where a player touched the ball. Um, And there's a... I don't know if you ever read uh, XKCD. Uh, It's a a webcomic. The guy that writes this, he's a... uh, I think he's a PhD in physics. He used to work for NASA, but he it's 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 quite humorous. It it is it is a bit highbrow, but it is very it's very intelligent, but it's very funny. And he had one uh, a strip that I always come back to, um, and it, it, the title was literally every sports discussion ever. And it was two stick figures sitting behind a desk saying, uh, "Here are some numbers. Let's build a discussion around them." And that's kind of what it's become. You know the you know if you've ever seen Moneyball. The way that the the old guard, you know, oh, we don't want to sign this player, you know, he doesn't have a good looking wife, so he's clearly he's not confident. And then, you know, Jonah Hill turns around and he says, well, he gets on base, so we should sign him. And and I think you know that's the that's the way it's you know transfers have started to go. You know, Liverpool um, have a reputation for uh, you know the you know the the laptop. The you know the data scientists Manchester City have it as well. Uh, I think about about four years ago they released a massive amount of data uh, that they had recorded from their games just to the public to see if anyone could come up with something that their their own data scientists had missed. And at a, a certain point, you know, it's just numbers on a screen. What what bothers me about it is that some of the numbers don't mean anything. So at a certain point, they don't mean anything. They're just numbers on the screen. But why are they fueling these heated debates online about, well, you know, Kevin De Bruyne has 0.5 higher XG than Bruno Fernandes. Therefore, Kevin De Bruyne is God and Bruno Fernandes is terrible. They're both really good players. 
Um, that's 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 really it. That is as far as I go with it. You know, and as uh, as as he said in the article that you know we can pull up any number of of YouTube clips now, and we can watch games through any number of legal or not so legal uh, uh, resources. I suppose the 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 anonymity maybe of the game has gone a little bit. Uh, you know, we can talk to uh, any any numbers of any number of players through their their various social media accounts. Um, that they kind of have to run now. You know, if they don't have one, people get suspicious of them, and if they do have them, they just seem to be getting abuse on them. It's I suppose it's human nature. I don't know if it is or not. I hope it isn't because I don't think that. You know, I, okay, I don't want to get too uh, philosophical about this, but I don't think human beings are bad. Uh, but I, I think that sometimes accessibility is too much. Accessibility is a bad thing. And social media, unfortunately, does tend to bring out the bad side of human nature and the toxicity there. Phil, what's your view on it? You were speaking before we came on air about how you kind of dabbled in it and you you follow all these accounts and i'm guessing i wanted to ask uh, where the name of your platform came the bottomless pit of football that seems to be social media in itself isn't it yeah well uh, funny where the name came from was i had two friends uh one's actually immigrated to canada and they had a podcast and it was called the bottomless pit podcast and they named it so they could literally just talk about anything they wanted and Mm. the last world cup they they wanted to talk about football, so they said, well, I come on, so I came on, and I did it, and then I thought, well, I kind of don't mind this, and I had started dabbling in a bit of writing, so I said, you know what, I'm just going to do the same, but there's so much to talk about with football, and everyone's looking for their niche, so I just said, I'm going to call it the bottom instead of football, so it covers all the bases. Basically, I kind of, my previous job, I didn't really have a lot of time to do stuff outside my job, and I had always wanted to get into football writing, so when I changed jobs about six years ago, I said I was going to give it a go. So, obviously, like, I have a lot of friends who are into football who what I would think would know a lot more than me. So, we'd always have great, serious discussions. But I wanted to just kind of test the water and see, am I talking out my ass here or do I know what I'm on about? And there's always the, the worry that when you listen to certain podcasts for so long, you just get opinion bias or whatever, confirmation bias. So, I set up a Facebook page called it the bottomless pit of football and I ran it for like six, seven months and it started off quite small, but like then it, it, it got quite big. A few of the posts went viral and like I was getting nearly a hundred thousand impressions a week, which was a lot like considering I didn't do any advertising or anything. It was just, it was basically the odd big article and then it was just small articles. And, but what I found from it was, well, like, more often than not, like a lot of people would agree, obviously you get people disagreeing and that's good for, you know, you, for discourse or whatever. But I found it exhausting mm. trying to put up like two posts a day. Like I really struggled at times. Like I, cause he, once you get into the rat race of, of running a social media account, and this is where the beauty of Joe's comes in, you kind of have to constantly think of new stuff to put up to attract the attention of the audience or the viewer. And basically, you just start writing nonsense for the sake of it. And I yeah. found that at the end of it, I was kind of doing that. So I just basically decided, no, good luck. Closed it down. That was it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because, uh, so Pogue McGoal started probably 10 or 11 years ago. And the name suggests we started off as a kind of irreverent look 
at Irish football. And we used to do, not dissimilar, we used to do a weekly blog and it was called, maybe unwisely now, it was called Spud Watch. <laughs> we might get cancelled in today's day and age. And it was a mate of mine, he was a very funny guy. But, I mean, he sailed close to the wind on some of his um, analysis, shall we call it. But it was, it was essentially, it was tracking Irish player performances every week in a blog. But as it went on, despite qualifying for Euro 2012, which was amazing and great for kind of our profile and everything. I mean, the tediousness of it. This Irish player didn't play this week. This Irish player got five minutes off the bench. This Irish player's in the championship. This Irish player's released. And trying to do this every week. And I mean it became so tedious. But I a lot of other kind of websites and outlets started to do the same thing. Track Irish players. We kind of discontinued that. And we went down a different path. As I kind of always said. One person's irreverent or one person's attempt to be funny can be another person's annoying as you say phil just trying to put stuff out for the sake of it so we took a different direction but joe you you were operating at that time and you stuck with this uh, this platform and there was a recent article on an irish sports uh, website called the 42 and it dove just into this topic a couple of people who were running accounts that tracked irish players and both of them were saying they felt completely burnt out on a Saturday, they were glued to their computers and they felt like if they missed a player in League One, they would get berated by the public. So it was all consuming. And that's why I wanted to get yourself on, Joe, because you automated yours. I mean, that just seems revolutionary for this space. Yeah, just to give everyone uh, my, my background, um, uh, my trade is a computer programmer. I work in the financial sector. Uh, completely separate from football but one of the things I've always said about uh, development um, is that what you what you do in your your spare time your hobby is development and what you learn in your spare time feeds into what you do in your professional career and what you learn in your professional career feeds into your what you do in your spare time it's uh, it's very unique and it's very hard to explain to someone who isn't in that kind of space because programming is still very, as, a, as an industry, is still very much in its infancy. You know, we're talking less than 30 years old here, uh, especially in Ireland. I will do stuff at home on my, on my own laptop uh, in my own time. And I will, you know, I will experiment a little bit. I will look at new technologies. I will, you know, I will see what kind of public information is available. Um, I will, you know, I'll, I'll watch tutorials on youtube or um uh, you know i'll, I'll ask I'll, I'll answer and answer questions on site like stack overflow and what i learned from that uh, and what i push into the, the irish abroad i've never called it a platform before but i suppose it has become that uh, what, I, what i learned that i could I, I can push into that a, a few people ask me like when did you start you know recording irish player information and i, and I do have a, a, a very clear memory of sitting down and uh, watching telly and I think uh, watching a match and someone got booked and then it just hit me like who's, what Irish players have been booked the most time this season and I didn't know and I had no way of finding out and the best I could do I think was look at the fantasy football and see like go down through the players and see who'd been booked but that was only like Premier League 
and I was thinking, well, you know, I mean, there's maybe it's someone in the well, it would have been the 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 first division at the time. I don't think it'll become the championship. So, but like the information is there, you know, it's out there, and what I can do is I can automate that uh, that information retrieval, which is what I did, and it's it's what I still do. That it started out as. Uh, post every couple of days on the the foot.ie forum and it evolved from there into the site and then when twitter and facebook started becoming they like it does they both the site predates those social media giants when they started becoming a thing i started looking at okay well if i post on twitter i can you know i can drive traffic to the site i can make more people aware of it um and it, it started to evolve and it was well how do i automate posting on Twitter. In the industry, uh, there's a term called API. It stands for uh, Application Programming Interface, and it means, which means absolutely nothing. And it's probably the only time we'll let you, allow, you'll only ever be asked what it means once. But basically what it means is how a company allows you to interact with their services. So Twitter's API will allow you to post automatically, uh, to post a tweet automatically. Facebook's API will allow you to post uh, to update a page or uh, automatically or post a photo automatically. If you've ever seen someone mash up Google Maps with, like, with say, Uber, you know, that's using the Google Maps API and using the, the, the Uber API. So I figured out how to use the, some of the various public APIs made available to find player information. Now, the information that is available is for all players across all divisions. So I had to start... I had to keep track of what players, what Irish players were appearing in each in each division, in each competition. Um, so I do have uh, a very large text file that uh, contains information on Irish players and how they're how they're recorded um, across various public uh, websites. So the likes of say Soccer Base or ESPN or Sky Sports. And what I've done for the live updates is track when each site updates a match, uh, a lineup, a goal for all players, check if that's an Irish player. And then if it is, post automatically on Twitter and Facebook that Shen Long has scored, Jeff Hendrick has been booked, uh, you know, Gavin Bazuno is named in the, the, the starting lineup or, or whoever it is. Um, I read that same article as well. What struck me was that the time that other people put into it is, you know, affecting affecting their mental health. Now, because of what I do, I was able to avoid that. There has been times when I have felt that it was a bit with the, the work, the amount of time that I was putting in was a little overwhelming. Up until the beginning of the year, I was uh, writing a short report twice a week about the, the landmarks that have been reached by, by players in that particular round of games. So Shay Long hits 300 appearances for Southampton. Say uh, someone from the lower leagues, you know, Will Keane scores his first goal in six months. And it was it was a little bit draining. And I said, you know what? The vast majority of the side is automated and that can continue without, I don't want to say without any interaction for me, but with minimal interaction. So I'm going to step back. I still do the podcast with with Phil and also with Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic but I did step back from writing the reports um every, twice a week and I it did feel good to, to not have to do that because uh, I was putting pressure on myself to do it and 
I did like reading that article. I did. I, I did sympathise with the two guys. And what I try to do is, I try to improve what I have to take advantage of, say, a new technology. For anyone who wants to start doing this, for anyone who thinks that they can make a career out of doing this, very few people do. I, I this is a strange comparison to make, but I saw. I remember I saw an interview with Paul Daniels, the magician, years ago. And then the interview asked him, like, uh, how hard is it to be, how hard is it to make money out of magic? And Paul Daniels said, name, name a magician. And the guy went, Paul Daniels. And he went, name another magician. And he went, uh, Penn and Teller. And he said, okay, name another magician. He said, that's how hard it is. Well, Phil, I mean, we are the audience for this. I think Ireland is a unique case because it's so small. I mean, it's hard for anyone to make a full-time career out of Irish football uh, in that respect. What is the fascination, do you think, Phil? I mean, uh, just this week, Troy Parrott, who, uh, Irish international, who feels like he's been around for years, go has signed another loan deal uh, to go to Preston. But he's also signed a three-year deal to stay at Spurs for his parent club and will go out on loan. Troy Parrott's only 20. I can't believe he's only 20 and he's he's been around, it feels like he's been around for years. So what what do you think it is, Phil, about us as an audience that craves this stuff? So, I, to be honest, I don't think we do. And I think that's why no one will make money out of it. I think it was something, and I'm not speaking, I'll, I'll get to Joe's account in a second, but I, I have a small problem and it's just me. I have a small problem with a lot of these accounts because, well, they're clearly agenda driven. They have their agenda. That's fine, but they're they're cheerleading sites. It's not honest. At the end of the day, it couldn't be that honest because mm. it, they have to keep up appearances. Like the the thing that brought me to Joe's site was Joe's site is just cold hard facts and making yeah. them what you want. If you want to know if Aidan McGeady is doing all right at Sunderland there a couple of seasons ago, and you're that interested. Like, I could click on Joe, I could see through Joe's site, and then if I was that interested, I'd go for a look. I don't believe the appetite's there for people to track all these players all the time. I just don't think it is. It couldn't be. Like, I, I don't really care about journeyman Irish players who are never going to play for the senior team that I've never heard of. Like, yeah. I don't. People, people don't. They, you can't possibly consume that much football. Yeah. The people who are creating the content are consuming that much football and it must drive them crazy yeah. because they have to constantly and constantly and constantly and it all has to be positive. I've never seen a bad word said about an Irish player on any of these sites. You know, mm. even after like performances where like someone's been absolute dog shit and like the rest of the world is going, well, he was terrible. You'll get something from one of these accounts and they'll say, well, he just didn't have a great day, but we know he's brilliant and he'll be back. Yeah, Like that's just my personal opinion um, and like what draw what drew me to Joe's site was I was researching for my own pieces my own articles I was trying to grow my own knowledge so I would look at Joe's site and I would see who's doing what and then I would say well there is someone you know here is a guy called Troy Parrott maybe we can do something about him or whatever but I just don't think people have the desire to follow every single Irish footballer ever to fart in a football I'm not speaking about any one account like there's quite a few of them and they're all trying to do the same thing, but I just think it it becomes it becomes biased, and it becomes it makes it very hard for people then to 
to call something out or make an informed decision or or have an informed opinion that would be the right opinion, you know. Mm. Like, how can some of these guys ever come out and criticize players? They can't because it's not their it's not their mo. You know, yeah. it doesn't feed their sight. You know, if Kenny's kids was to put up something like, or and again, I'm just using Kenny's kids to, to load them out there. But like, if Kenny's kids was to come out and say like. Aaron Connolly has basically fucked his career up for the last three seasons and a move to Venetia isn't good. There was no one in the championship willing to take it on. He's obviously a bit of a header. Hopefully he gets his career back on track, but it's not great. Yeah. I didn't see that from anyone. I saw it from a lot of people, but I didn't see it from any of these accounts. I saw Paul Heaton, Irish fan TV. He does loads of good stuff as well. But I saw he had he had his... I didn't look at it yet, but I saw he had an interview with Connolly and he had some quote tweets on it. And it was like Aaron Connolly says maybe he his desire for football his desire for football has waned over the last three seasons. And like nobody has picked up on that. The last three seasons. If your desire for in for football in the last three seasons has waned and you're that young, man, you are in bother. But like there's none of that. It's pure hand hold you know, hand holding you're great. Go on. Go on, you good thing. It's funny you say that because that interview with Connolly has been picked up and it stuck out this week because those quotes and they're attributed to Irish football fan TV is that he has said that is that he's only 22 and he's joined Venezia in Serie B. So when that kind of raised eyebrows that a player who was, you know, going places at Premier League uh, Brighton decides to leave England to go to the second division of Italy, that raised eyebrows. His quotes were, if he stayed with hanging around with the people he was with, he was on a downward spiral and he didn't want to be the forgotten the forgotten man of Irish football. Joe, you are a, by definition, a man of numbers and data and the platform you've created. So you, as Phil says, you just present the data and the facts. So what are your thoughts on why we are so consumed with this? Is it the fancy football and championship manager generation? Because... I, I see these accounts like yours and the others and they say so-and-so played League One or League, League Two today, this Irish player. But, I mean, I watched a couple of games in League One last year. I watched Wimbledon play Wigan where James McLean was the standout player. The standard was horrific. Wimbledon didn't have a shot all game. Uh, McLean stood out. Look, McLean's an Irish international, but he's operating at that level. And it felt like these guys, there was no urgency, there was no energy, it was like going through the motions. So that, your data doesn't give that nuance, but what's your personal opinion on why we put so much stock in this, or why it has exploded? Well, I think like there's, there's a couple of things. Like, the rise in popularity with... Okay, I know we keep going back to Kenny's kids, but I think it's it's one of the accounts that exploded. It, you know, it went from I think very few numbers to ten thousand. I think they're up around twenty thousand now. You know, in a very short space of time. Now, when it, when Kevin started the account, there wasn't a lot of accounts uh, covering underage players in the English setup, including me. I didn't I I didn't add that in until later, um, but at the time. You know, we had Martin O'Neill as the national team manager playing uh, a very dour brand of football. And when he was when he was removed and Mick McCarthy was appointed, 
Stephen Kenny was brought in to manage the under 21s and you know there was a, a groundswell of support behind him because of the brand of football that Dundalk had played you know not just in in the League of Ireland but you know in Europe you know taking Dundalk into the uh, the group stages of the Europa League and winning games and playing really good football while they were doing it you know getting getting the best out of uh, you know players like like Richie Towell and Daryl Horgan and the assumption was that you know, he's when he was appointed the under twenty one manager was that they would start playing this attractive, attacking, intelligent brand of football and it's gonna be a world apart from what we had seen from, you know, Martin O'Neill and Giovanni Trapattoni before him. And I think, you know, the success that they had at underage level, you know, led to an increased coverage of the under twenty ones and not just the under twenty ones but also the under nineteens, under seventeens. Um, you know, when you think that you know, say not not even that long ago. You know, even five years ago, it was impo- Like, whenever the under nineteens or under seventeens would play a qualifying tournament, um, it might get, you know, one article in a in one of the national newspapers, and because of the coverage of these of these teams, especially the under twenty ones, because Stephen Kenny was going to be taking over the the senior team, people started looking for for coverage of these games. Now. The national paper, the, the you know the traditional Irish Independent, Irish Times, Irish Examiner, they weren't really covering the games, but these accounts were, and they were being relentlessly positive about them, as as Phil has said, and not just about the games that the 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 sides were playing, but you know the players when they were appearing in PL two games in you know in academy in FAU Cup games, and it would be that positivity was all that came across. I think people wanted that, especially Irish football fans. You know, we've been subject to bad football for so long that we wanted positivity. Stephen Kane took me, took a while to win me over. Like I was delighted to see him appointed under twenty one manager, and I thought, look, this is logical progression. Not every game was perfect. You know, we 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 did draw games, we did lose games, um, but when and when we won. You know, we were playing. We did it playing good football, and as co- as much coverage as the under twenty ones did get, um, being still being below or you know not getting as much coverage as the senior team under Mick McCarthy meant that the mistakes were kind of glassed over a little bit, and the the we accentuated the positive, and that, that's not a bad thing. You know, there's enough negativity on Twitter, um, and on social media in general as it is. So, um, you know, if everything is positive, then trust me, nothing is positive. Uh, if everything is awesome. Nothing is awesome. I think that Aaron Connolly's move to Venezia is remains to be seen if it's a good or a bad thing. But I'm much more excited about uh, a Banqua and um, Festi Abaselli at Udinese because that's that's Serie A. That's 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 a serious That's a real standard of football, and it looks like they could be playing first team football there. Like, don't get me wrong. If Connolly plays well and scores, then I'd be delighted for him. Um, but I mean, if he comes on for ten minutes at the end of a game, you know, I'm not going to be celebrating that. Yeah, we did have the team photographer at Venezia. It's a very cool club with a very cool kit, so he at least has that going for him. But Phil, to bring you in on that, I mean, that's Joe's point. There is when you're being told by pundits that this is the worst Irish international squad possibly ever we're naturally going to look for well who's coming up in in replacement but on that point about we are now seeing 
Irish players and particularly young players go beyond the UK and we have an article in issue eight about like Brexit's impact on, on the development of Irish players. But now, as we're saying, we're seeing players go to uh, Serie A. We're seeing players of Irish connection or Irish qualification in the Bundesliga. So that can only be a good thing. So, like, obviously it's a good thing the players are going out on the continent. I don't believe that maybe up to five or six years ago the players didn't want to go out on the continent. I just think it's more now that our young players are getting noticed more. And as Joe alluded to, we have a lot of young players coming through and that's obviously with the why all these accounts are there and that. But I, I definitely think it's because the talent is now there. I always used to make the joke that you didn't get your first Irish senior cap until you were 27. Yeah. Like, that's usually the way it was. You know, if you think a lot of the players that were playing in 2012 and that, I think it's obviously Brexit has something big to do with it. But I just think that that they're getting noticed more um, by scouts on the continent. And obviously, with all the money swirling around England, they've decided to come and look at another another country in the Eurozone where they might get better value younger prospects. We're coming towards the end, but I want to ask you both where you think the state of the national team is our Irish football. Joe, you're going to continue tracking these players. Hopefully we're going to see more of them at top clubs around the continent. Where do you see the appetite for this kind of information, but also where do you see the current crop of the up-and-coming players? I think as a rolling stone gathers no moss. So as the national team improves, then more people will want to know about national team players um, they, like I said the success that Kenny had at underage level has driven interest in the underage setup so yeah people are going to want to know more about you know who's in the underage setup and I think it's only natural as football fans to you know to, to amass information um, we want to know who's who's around not just who plays each game but who's in the squad and you know who's on the standby list and how are they doing and you know who's linked with a transfer, or you know who's gonna, you know, if someone gets a loan before the transfer window closes, what's that gonna mean for their season? Um, as for how things are gonna go in the immediate future, I think Irish football has been on a downward curve for the last few seasons. That's not, uh, I don't think that's anything revolutionary. Uh, you know, I've seen numbers drop. Uh, in terms of Premier League appearances and also in Championship, um, and not just that, but the numbers of of young players appearing in in the top level in England is is dropping. But I think we've reached the bottom of the curve. Um, now it could be that this season things level out, and we start to see the curve going up again. The better players that we have in our underage system are going to start seeing more game time and that's going to obviously lead to more appearances in in the top level uh the challenges that these players are facing you know to get game time is very different to what it was for players of a similar level you know 10 years ago 20 years ago the you know the premier league you know it's international league uh it brings in uh you know, the top talent from all over the world. What I want to see from the national team is a bit more consistency. Like Stephen Kenny has, when the team have played well, they've played brilliantly. And they've played, you know, a type of football that we haven't seen in, oh, I don't know, maybe since Mick McCarthy finished uh, his first reign in charge. 
Um, so we're talking 20 years of increasingly defensive football since then. We've gone from, we, we've consecutive games, we've pushed Portugal hard to, you know, having to you know get a, a, a late equaliser against Azerbaijan. You know, we play well against Serbia and we lose to Luxembourg. We lose to Armenia and Ukraine and suddenly we turn it on against Scotland. You know, I, I've said it on, on our own podcast a couple of times that what Stephen Kenny's legacy could be is that he he brought through the players for whoever the next manager is to get the very best out of them. And yourself, Phil, I mean, we spoke at the top of the show how Italia 90 and 94 inspired you guys. Are you hopeful that we could see a team with young Irish players playing a positive style that might inspire the next generation. It's all about qualification, isn't it? Absolutely. I think I think we're a couple of tournaments away from quali- a couple of qualification tournaments away from actually qualifying for one of the big ones. I don't think it will be the next Euros, maybe possibly the World Cup. But I think, like I agree with Joe, we are on an upward curve, and I think the the biggest thing about this team is while they they are inconsistent and unfortunately for Kenny, a lot of the players at the moment who he will be relying on are, are in flux a bit. They're, they're all, a lot of them are gone on loan. They're still trying to prove themselves and the most settled they might be is when they're with the Irish international team. But, but they're exciting. This is the thing, like the Scotland game. You know, it was exciting. The goals were exciting. We never used to score exciting goals. The most excitement about our goals used to be that they were 90-minute headers to get a, to scrape a draw, but at least now we can see snippets of us playing football. So I do think there's a there's a team there to qualify in the next two to three tournaments. As Joe said, and I've said it many times on his podcast, it's not going to be Stephen Kenny that takes them there. And maybe a manager, a better manager than Stephen Kenny will do better things with better players. Um, yeah. But overall, I think it's, it's a positive outlook. Uh, one negative stat that I came up with during the year was that uh, Andrew Omobamadeli is the first player to be born after the Ireland team were knocked out of the 2002 World Cup to make his senior debut. What that means is that every player that makes his, that was born after him that makes his debut you know, will have lived their entire life without Ireland having played a match at the World Cup. You know, And the last player before Omobamadeli to make his debut without Ireland having played a World Cup match in their lifetime was Alan McLaughlin, who played and who came on for his debut in the last warm-up friendly before Italian 90. So if McLaughlin made his debut in 1990 and Omar Bamadeli made his debut, you know, last year, 2021, that's, you know, it's a 30, 30-year 30 span of players playing for the Republic of Ireland, having seen, uh, you know, with the national team having played at least one World Cup game in their lifetime. And we've, we're at least four years away from uh, playing the World Cup again. I don't know if we're going to qualify or not. I think we have a good, ch- a better chance of qualifying for the Euros in Germany. It's. I think that that's something that that particular stat we should close that. You know, we should have players playing for the national side, having been inspired by, you know, the previous generation at a World Cup. Ultimately, Joe, the data doesn't lie. <laughs> well, no, yeah, numbers don't lie. This is the thing, but they can be interpreted. They can be interpreted differently by different people. And one thing I notice is that um, if you want to prove that player A is greater than player B, you'll find this. That, you know, confirmation bias is a thing in, in stats as well. You'll find the, the stat that proves that player A is greater than player B for any reason. And, you know, that would be the rock you die on. 
you know, he has a higher XG for games away from home, played midweek, then player B, therefore player A is a better player. Yeah, maybe the better barometer is I saw both of them play. But Phil, uh, I want to bring you in before we leave, because as I said, you are an avid shirt collector, but you're also an organiser of pop-up shops and gift boxes. So tell us a little bit about that before we finish. I always worn football shirts, kind of lazy, I suppose, but I always used to wear football shirts, even at work all the time. And um, I was kind of pre-lockdown. My wife turned to me and she goes, you know, you have an awful lot of football shirts. And <laughs> during lockdown, obviously everyone was looking for something to do. And I was looking for what I would call, I think in life, everyone needs a side hustle. This is what I was always told. You should have your ordinary job and then you should always have something else you can make a few pounds off. So it was actually kind of half my wife's idea that, so I collect a lot, like I would have a lot of, say, Italian 90 memorabilia. I'd have a lot of USA 94 memorabilia. I'd have a lot of stuff from 2002 as well that I would collect and um, magazines and that. And she saw it all coming through the house and she goes, you know, wouldn't it be... I was thinking about something to get you for your birthday and I tried to get you a few different bits and I couldn't get it. And it kind of dawned on me then. I said, do you know what? That wouldn't be a bad idea for a present for someone to get, you know, because everybody loves nostalgia at the end mm. of the day. And like, it's a, it's a great thing to be able to go back and look at football in the 70s, 80s, 90s and see what, it, what the, the discussion was and how they used to view it or the prism they used to view it through. So that's where I got the idea for the boxes. Obviously, during lockdown as well, shirt collecting became a really big thing. They became easier to get. So I just kind of put two and two together and I started selling them online on a couple Irish websites. And last Christmas, I was going to do pop-up because there isn't much cause for it in Ireland. I know Catholic football shirts are huge now in England, but it's still relatively, you know, un- untested over here. So it just kind of grew and grew. So I just decided I'll do a few pop-ups every year and we'll just see where we go from there. Yeah, and we're happy to participate in them as well. So you'll find some of our magazines at them. Where can people find out information? So if you search Twitter, the bottom is bit of football. Uh, Facebook, the bottom is bit of football. They're the main two outlets we use. We don't really do a lot of advertising. Um, it's more kind of word of mouth, which is good because it means we're kind of doing something right. Yeah, and we'll we'll share about your upcoming events as well. And Joe, where can people find Irish Abroad and to let the stats guide their opinions? Oh, well, you can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore abroad or on Instagram at Irish underscore football underscore statistics or Facebook at just Irish football statistics. Yeah, we're looking, I'm looking forward to this, the, the new season starting in England. It feels like a very short pre-season. It feels like we just... Had our end of season discussion with uh, with Phil and with Mark only you know a few weeks ago, uh, but that's the that's the World Cup uh, influence again. The season is starting earlier and ending later. Yeah, and you can track the Irish players as I said on Irish abroad. It was a fascinating discussion. I think look, this this stuff isn't going away. People are interested in it. We talked. We mentioned about Moneyball. I mean, the football clubs are investing in it. From a fan's point of view, as you said at the top of the program, Joe, how much is worthwhile and how much of it is kind of background noise? Uh, that's for each individual to come up with. But it's been a really interesting conversation. So thanks for joining us on the podcast, Joe and Phil. No problem, James. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. And that's it for the latest episode of the Pokemon Gold podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your pods and toggle back for previous shows. Don't forget you can now order the all-new issue 8 of the magazine online at pokemagold.com with worldwide delivery and get in touch via our social media channels. 
Join us next time on the Pokemon Gold Podcast.